Welcome TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley and here with me as always is the bewhiskered Robert Domena. Each week we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and our own travel experiences. Today we have Jackie Snow on the podcast. She is a freelancer journalist from published by the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, National Geographic. She's also the former editor for MIT Technology Review, where she was an artificial intelligence reporter. Today, we discuss uh, pandemic tech that will change the travel industry forever. We talk about the metaverse. We get into uh, other forms of AI, EVs, and really just had a pretty uh, insightful conversation around tech and travel in general. So we hope you enjoy the conversation. To this week's travel tip of the week, is to use YouTube to watch people walk through your destination for insight. Now, sounds kind of straightforward. I used this the last time was for Marrakech. Before we went, I watched a YouTube of a previous guest, actually, Walter's World Walk through the city of Marrakech, and I learned some unique insight uh, on motorcycles driving by, donkeys getting in your way. So it was really kind of prepared me for the destination. Before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research, and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website, and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us. And if you want to, you can you can be a part of our Travel Around Table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers. Send us your email with your name, your website, and a few travel-related topics that you enjoy discussing, and we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Jackie, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thanks for having me. We're excited to talk to you today. We actually read one of your articles for our travel news segment, The Travel Bites, uh, I think last month. And we want to talk to you about some of the tech innovations that we've seen arise over the course of the pandemic. Uh, before we get into that, we'd like to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about yourself and your background, uh, what you currently do, and how you got into the travel writing world. Yeah, so I am a freelance reporter. I have been writing about technology, mostly artificial intelligence, for the last few years. Uh, but talking to researchers about algorithms all day, I need an outlet for some different type of writing. And as much as I thought travel writing was something that only a few select people got to do, coming at it from uh, the angle that I did, which was a little bit more uh, reporter focused, looking at like how we travel, not necessarily like where we travel and like the feel of travel, really got me in the door to writing about travel for New York Times and National Geographic. And now um, I'm kind of marrying the two worlds where I'm writing about uh, technology and how it uh, impacts and changes travel. So that's my journey as a freelancer and um, getting to add in what I write about as a freelancer and also what I like to do when I'm not working. Yeah, awesome. 
it's it's very exciting because yeah. they're sort of they're married to each other already. You know, autonomous technology, uh, these 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 new electric technologies that we're seeing in vehicles are going to significantly impact travel. So they're sort of growing hand in hand. It's pretty exciting stuff. It is, and uh, with the so you in your article you talk about five tech innovations that you and your research have seen that may change travel forever or will change it forever. Um, so uh, let's go through some of those. The first one was, let me pull this up again, uh, UVC cleaning. And I, I'm familiar with like UV cleaning. I think my old toothbrush had a UV cleaning compartment to help desanit or sanitize it. So what is this and how is it changing travel? Yeah, so UVC is the part of the light spectrum that has been used as a disinfectant for a couple decades, mostly in places where, you know, life and death is like online. So in hospitals, they clean out, you know, operating rooms and uh, instruments with UVC light. It's very powerful. It's also um, just very thorough. So, uh, but it does cost money to install these systems that can use UVC at the right a level and the right um, angle, like there is some technical aspects on how to do it. So a lot of places haven't installed it, um, although UVC can kill all, all, all sorts of germs, not just COVID. So, um, but, you know, as we see with COVID and people being scared to travel and knowing more about how it is dispersed, UVC is a great way to reduce the amount of UVC in uh, the air. So there are places that are trying to get people more comfortable indoors that are doing the expense of installing UVC into usually the HVAC systems. You can put that you know, up in the, the ceiling where people um, don't have to see it because UVC is also can blind you. So you do need it in a place where people aren't looking at it. So it's something that is being installed in airports, in gyms, in movie theaters. And not only is it reducing uh, COVID floating around, but it's going to help kill you know, common colds, the flu going around. It could actually make us pass fewer germs around, you know, even past COVID. So this is something that's really exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. But can you, can you describe it um, maybe a little bit more in layman's terms uh, for, for someone who's maybe not familiar with it? It's okay, but you can ask that you want it for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I, I, by no means am I an expert, uh, but it's coming in at a wavelength that can um, kill germs and bacteria, but it's still part of the light spectrum that we can see. So um, it is something that, you know, when they used to do it in hospital rooms that you clear, you don't do it when someone's in there, you just clear the room, maybe pull down the blinds and set these machines out that are uh, set to the right frequency to put out the, you know, the wavelength for UVC. Um, and that washes the area in this light um, that can disinfect the whole area. There is a certain amount of, depending on the germ, uh, or the bacteria, there is a certain t- length of time that it's needed to um, kill these germs. And after that happens, um, you know, you have this area that is disinfected. So what the uh, folks I talked to about UVC, um, if, you know, if you set at this, like the, the length that the longest germ is going to survive UVC, which, you know, maybe it's E. coli. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm picking a germ right here. Um, like let's say that needs 20 minutes of exposure. If you set it for 20 minutes, it's going to kill everything that needs less UVC exposure. Uh, and then once it gets up to, you know, the, this, the one that can survive the longest, you've just cleared out um, a whole spectrum of different types of germs and bacteria. So 
that wow. is, I don't know if that's any more layman's term, but that's a little bit more about how it works. And I, I know it's like technical too, like the, the angles it's coming in, but uh, that's when I was talking to the folks who are doing this, you know, I guess they're seeing a lot of new people come in to want to uh, provide this as a service, but you know, it, it does there. I think there's like some math and science behind it. It's not just like, Oh, okay, here's this light. Let's do it. It's yeah, right. <laughs> there's a little bit more going on, but yeah, you know, I know for, one, like, one, of, one of the photos that you provide in your article just looks like black lights in an airplane. And that's kind of what I always envisioned, but I think it's really cool that we can, I didn't know that it was possible to put it part of the HVAC system. And having that sanitization effort in our filtration system seems to be the most efficient route. And I love that it isn't just targeting COVID. I mean, I don't think you can just specifically target one germ, but the fact that it will clean everything and make our airports and other large venues that much safer, that's that's kind of nice knowing. Yeah, even the common cold. Like, yeah. what an annoying thing to get at any point in time, you know? And to be able to, to move past that. I did, I think I remember seeing robots in... I don't remember the country. I believe it was in Asia. I think it was either Singapore, uh, South Korea, or maybe even Japan, where they had these robots that would essentially ride up and down through the airport. And they, they had the UV light feature on the floor, but it only cleaned, obviously, that small floor area that the, the robot was over at that point in time. And I found that was pretty interesting. And that was actually my first. And this was in the, like not the beginning of the pandemic, but I guess once we were trying to open travel, I remember seeing that. Yeah. yeah, so Pittsburgh was experimenting with that since they have Carnegie Mellon, which has a really strong robotics program. They were already building robots to like go be autonomous, uh, like, you know, kind of soap and water type cleaning robots. Uh, but as they're building this in COVID struck, they're like, can we add some UVC to it? So they added the UVC lights. And you're right, if you put that like, you know, low to the ground and kind of cover the sides of it so light isn't spilling out, you can, yeah, there's robots that are doing that now. They're putting that in handrails. Just anywhere where there's like an enclosed space where, you know, there's not a risk of us seeing it. Um, like there's, that's being added all over the place. I, I don't know if that's as effective, um, you know, cause that's not a lot of time that the robot is going over the ground, but it's still, it's still something. So it's, you know, it's getting there. All right. Hey, that's great. All right. So yeah. next up is QR codes. Bob and I mentioned this a little bit in our travel bite section, but we've been using QR codes a lot. Like I was just always using my phone, hitting the, the lens and then the website would pop up. But what your article talks about is that people can actually use those as like spam links now or uh, potential malware links. So can you explain a little bit about how that works and what you should do instead of scanning a QR code? Yeah, so a QR code is a machine readable barcode pretty much that people, restaurants mostly are using right now as a way to do touchless menus. You take your phone, uh, you open up the camera, at least on iPhones, and point it in the direction of the QR code. And it, um, the QR code has been embedded with usually a link to a menu, sometimes just a PDF, and they'll be pulled up instead of being handed a physical menu. Um, the pro there's, there's a couple of problems with this method. One, we one, we know that COVID is not really trans, you know, we're not having transmission by like touching a menu again and again, but also there are issues where if uh, someone, you know, walks by this table and puts down a different QR code, if the restaurant lets their um, domain expire and someone, you know, takes that over, um, there are ways that this could become like a, you know, this is a nerdy way to call it, but it's an attack vector. This is opening you up 
to a chance of having your phone, you know, hacked or something put on it or being exposed maybe to a site that you don't want to see. It's not a menu. Maybe it's a gambling site. Maybe it's pornography. It could be anything. So it's not ideal from a safety um, standpoint. And then there's also privacy issues. This is a lot of these maybe are just pulling the menu and just pinging that, you know, we have a visitor, right? But there's going to be other sites that are going to start, you know, tracking you and potentially selling your uh, data to a third party um, company that's collecting data. You know, you're all of a sudden having this trail of like where you're going at what time, what you're ordering, following you around. Wow. And for people who are, you know, not wanting that type of information about themselves out either because they're maybe like, you know, out, like they're married, but they're out on a date or they're just privacy focused. Like this is not ideal compared to a physical menu where there's not like a data dump happening at the same time. So in terms of recommendations of what people should do instead, do we just look up the menu ourselves or ask for a physical menu? Yeah, there's a few, like, I, I think asking for a physical menu is potentially the easiest. Um, maybe just trying to go to the website yourself and like looking at the menu and ordering that way. Some of the, you know, QR codes now are directing you to a place where you then order. So that's a little bit trickier. I know at least for iPhones now, you know, when you uh, hold up your camera to it, it's going to show you, uh, you know, what the uh, QR code is trying to take you to. So you get a little sample of the link you're going to, which hopefully is enough information to go like, okay, if I'm at McDonald's, this is McDonald's link, so it's probably safe, let's go. So I, I don't know if there is that option on um, other phones besides iPhone, but they're, you know, just being cognizant of what you're doing and seeing if there's a different way to go about it is definitely um, That's something that I'm considering. That's a good point. Yeah. I, so I have the iPhone and it does show the link first. So if I'm at McDonald's and I scan the McDonald's QR code and it says McDonald's.com, I know it's probably safe. But if it says, you know, uh, anything else, I guess, <laughs> then I should not click it. That goes for like spam emails as well. That's yes. a pretty much, that's yeah. a pretty common way to. Yeah. yeah. And if you're on a desktop, yeah. well, I mean, you can't really scan a QR code if you're on a desktop. But if you just hover, nah. hover over a link, this is just good practice. <laughs> it usually <laughs> pops up. At the bottom left of your web browser, what the link is actually taking you to. And if it doesn't look like it's just what you think you're going to, don't right. worry about it. Right, um, right, So the last piece of your article talks about, is it Casper Sky QR scanner? Is, yeah. And that is a QR scanner that actually reads it and says whether or not it is safe or isn't safe. Yeah. Okay. It's making a determination of if it's safe or not. And I think I got that directly from the ACLU did a blog post about that. And that was the source I talked to. So I think I got that directly from the ACLU. So that is also an option to look into. Cool. All right. Moving on to the next one. Uh, so this one is something that I'm not really familiar how the whole process works. It, it seems very complicated and difficult to actually do. So it's contact tracing tools. And I guess these have been around for a little while um, with Zika and then HIV. And now obviously COVID is probably the one that's been used the most with. So what tools have been developed over the course of the last two years to help with contact tracing? Yeah, a lot of this seems confusing because it's not like for you and I. This is for people in public health who need to like have an idea of what's going on. It's not necessarily like really... Um, uh, you know, fine uh, data points. It's not like, okay, Jackie was talking to, you know, John, Luke and Mary or whatever. It's just like, well, maybe even looking at maps that have like a heat map where it's showing like darker red in these areas. 
So, you know, it's a lot of this is going on that we just aren't seeing, but there is this whole spectrum of new technologies that public health um, and different groups like, you know, contact tracing that um, airports or airlines were considering doing. Um, there's all these tools that can help try to track uh, illnesses. COVID's been really hard because it's a pandemic. There's, you know, been millions of infections while you're looking at something like Zika and HIV, which were more in the thousands, that was a little bit more trackable. So there's not, there's so far, there's not like an end all solution, but the two big ones that people probably had the most experience with were Google and Apple putting out contact tracing options on your phone that you could opt into. And so, you know, I, I opted in and I only had one potential exposure, but you know, my phone wanted me to know that I had a potential exposure at this time in this location and, you know, walk me through, like, do you feel any symptoms? If so, like, you know, stay at home. Um, and that data is being reported to where I live. So they they know that, okay, here's potential exposure and they're just tracking this. So um, th that's probably the only one that was public facing where we're, we're interacting with these ways to like recognize our risk and maybe alert others. But there's just this whole other um, suite of tools that are being used by public health just to like, track this, maybe uh, predict what's going to happen that, uh, you know, I has probably helped. I don't know if there is uh, definitive research yet that's saying like these contact tracing efforts have helped reduce the amount of illness by X amount. I don't think we're far enough along to know that yet, but they are being built, they're helping today and they're gonna help in the future when we're dealing with the next pandemic. Okay, I, I, I wanna take this conversation to a little bit uh, broader because I think the, the ability for most of us in the United States to have the contact tracing apps that they were developed early on in the pandemic, probably within like six months of it actually of lockdown. And there were different apps you could download like Google or Apple. I think he, some states even had a contact tracing app where you just basically had Bluetooth on, you just had a pin. It wasn't a, attached to your identity at all. But if you were in contact with someone within 10 feet for more than 15 minutes and they got COVID, you got notified. And I wonder if this technology will be implemented on a larger scale. Like if all phones in the future, you're just automatically opted into this and it's completely anonymous, but it's location based. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think there will be some countries that do that. I don't think the US will be one. I think there is uh, a streak of uh, independence and keep your tracking out of my phone that won't ever allow it to happen here. Yeah. Uh, I think there will be smaller countries that potentially do something like that. Uh, I think Taiwan um, and places that have really strong like uh, technology practice. So, you know, Taiwan has like a chief digital officer looking at places like Estonia that have like, you know, e-services for everything. I think those we'll see in those countries that try to do something like that, where they just like, you know, if you enter the country or if you're a resident, you can just, you know, you're going to have some sort of tracking that happens to monitor um, infectious diseases. So um, I, I think we will see it here and there. I would be very surprised if anything like that could happen here. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with that. A lot of privacy issues. Yeah. So I, I want to maybe expand beyond the article um, and see and just pick your brain. Um, what do you personally find unique in your research uh, related to AI, of course, and then travel? Um, what are you excited for? 
Yeah, I think so. One of my favorite subsections of artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence is how it can be used for uh, sustainability and conservation. And I think there, the you know, the sky is the limit here. Uh, you know, pun intended when we were talking about travel, because especially with airlines and you know, travel is such a big part of uh, carbon emissions. I think there is a lot of ways that we can look to. Um, machine learning and different artificial intelligence practices to lower the impact of travel. So they're already using AI to try to predict uh, better, um, better paths for airplanes that are going to run into you know, less headwinds. So they use less uh, fuel and can be more uh, efficient in their flight paths. So that is something that could be you know, very, um, exciting in the future where not only are flights maybe shorter, but they're also like less, you know, dumping less carbon and emissions into the atmosphere. So that is probably the coolest part where I see AI uh, making an impact in travel. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's already happening, but more widespread in the coming years. I, I think this, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because autonomous vehicles have been a large part of the news in the last few years, especially, and it seems like they're only in the news when they crash. But what is your opinion on the autonomous vehicle uh, aspect of travel? Yeah, I don't think most people will experience autonomous vehicles in the next five years. I see it more probably in a supply chain uh, the supply chain will probably get more autonomous driving uh, where we look at, you know, um, these trucks are driving across the country. There, there are long parts of the highway where they, it's not, there's not a lot of turns. There's not a lot of like moving between lanes uh, that Thomas driving is already pretty good at. And if we're having a driver shortage, like that's something that these companies that are, um, you know, worried about the supply chains and trying to make them more, more resilient are going to look into whether like, okay, maybe we can, hire someone with a little less uh, commercial driving experience, but give them this artificial intelligence that it can mostly just drive so these people can, you know, maybe take a nap and then drive a little bit longer, what have you. Uh, when it comes to everyday um, experience autonomous driving and travel, I think we'll maybe start to see it. Maybe we'll see like uh, autonomous uh, um, buses from like the airport to a rental car pickup or to a hotel, you know, these very short, sections of track where these autonomous vehicles can really learn like, okay, here's all the things that I would potentially maybe see and here's how I can react because the wider world at large, there's too many unknowns for these cars to be very good at yet. But if it's just a quarter mile long or a mile and it's like the same, you know, standard. yeah, like, okay, like they know what every type of suitcase looks like. They know how they fall on the ground. They know like exactly what to look out for. Um, that'll probably be the first things that people really experience. I don't think we're going to be getting like, you know, I know Tesla is trying to roll that out. I think that's, you know, he always says, you know, next year, I think it's going to be next year for, for a while for yeah. <laughs> um, other cars. And I, th I think uh, I would love to be able to go to Arizona. I think Waymo has their basically autonomous taxi service live in Phoenix or right. somewhere in Arizona. And I think they're they're slowly making their way to autonomous friendly states. I think California just approved a few, uh, or the uh, Federal Highway Administration approved the use of autonomous vehicles. So even without a driver or someone in the passenger seat. So I think these little steps are going to be making 
eventually their way to the consumer. And it's going to come in an uh, autonomous vehicle as a service first before people even buy them. Yeah, so there's five levels of autonomous driving and most, and I, you know, it's been a while since I've looked at this, but most cars are getting up to, you know, two or three even, you know, when they, like the parking assist, those things, like that's part of like getting to this full-fledged, like us being able to, you know, take a nap in the back of our car, autonomous driving. So it's our, everyone, like most people with cars are within a few years old, like have, you know, a autonomous vehicle level one, level two. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, what we you know, dream about not having to like stare out and hold onto this wheel. Um, you know, you, you're seeing in places like Arizona because the weather is pretty consistent there because even things like snow is still really hard for, uh, you know, cars, uh, Thomas vehicles like LIDAR and stuff to make sense of. So you're seeing in places that are kind of easy. Um, I was at a uh, an AI conference in Tokyo and they were bragging about how good the roads are and how like fresh the lines are. So it's a really good place for an autonomous vehicle to learn to drive. I'm like, no, that's the worst place because everything is so structured. Um, you need to give it to some place, you know, where like yes. take them, to, take them to Miami and make a car try to drive in Miami traffic with like a oh, crazy yeah. thunderstorm happening because that that's the test, not like polite Tokyo drivers with like, you know, perfectly paved roads. That's, you know, that's not, I want to see a, an autonomous car try to navigate Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I think, you know, maybe it's, and it's also, yeah, it's going to be super localized. Like cars are going to have to like learn to drive. Like there's going to be like, here's the Miami autonomous vehicle. Here's the, you know, Delhi one. Here's like the Cairo. It's just, you know, everything is so specific to the location yeah. from the weather down to what could run into the road. I think level four is achievable in the next decade or so. I think level five is going to be extremely hard to achieve in the sense of like what everyone is actually aiming for where we have true autonomous it can function on its own in any condition at any time and can do well i think it's, we're a long way from like a long ways mm -hmm. from that by then the metaverse will exist and no one's going to want to travel anyway i'm just going to be living in the metaverse <laughs> and, and jackie are you uh is um, the metaverse uh a synonym of the matrix uh i don't i don't think so um yeah you know, uh, i've been trying to like let them do whatever they're going to do for a little bit and like then you know dive in uh once they figure out what their their messaging is but no i just rewatched the matrix movies to get ready for the new one and yeah, i really hope that's not, yeah i hope that's not what their mark zuckerberg is presenting because that's not um that's not good no yeah, I just started watching it. I was watching Matrix one last night. But well, so it, do you see any benefit to it? Like, what do you think of it? What do you think of this metaverse? Um, you know, coming from anyone else, I'd be interested. I think with what's happening in terms of like the Facebook papers, this just feels like look at this shiny tool over here. Don't mind what we did before. Don't mind the problems that our systems are still like creating right now. We got this new thing um, and it's it's hard to take it seriously in that way. It also just, um, you know, they've had the Oculus for years and have not really made that happen in a major way. So to think that they're going to go from like AR, VR to full-fledged metaverse, it seems like they're putting the like cart before the horse, like to put it lightly. So I'm, I am, uh, I think we're going in that direction to some extent and 
uh, since Facebook slash Meta is such a big player, they will probably be part of the, you know, push to doing more things that way. But I think the way they're trying to sell it is overstated and for the wrong reasons. Interesting. Yeah. It, this is, I guess, a little bit of a tangent now, but I, I agree with you completely. Like that, <laughs> Facebook is destroying uh, the, the, the culture. Uh, you know, we can't, people are polarized. And I think that's been magnified extremely uh, through Facebook. Um, like the, it's horrible for little girls, all that stuff that came out. But that's a different, I guess, conversation. Um, but anyway, Jackie, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> And I don't think uh, – so I guess reeling it in and talking about the metaverse purely from a travel perspective and what it could potentially offer people in the way of being able to experience countries and cultures and even food, I guess, in a way through this virtual space, it sounds really nice. Um, and, but, and I guess the question everybody's wondering is, does it replace the real thing, right? Yeah. Well, I guess my question is, do they plan to do a metaverse where you are, you know, you have your augmented reality goggles or whatever, but you are able to, you know, walk through the physical place? Like if there's, yeah. there's something available where you can actually walk through it, basically like a VR ride, but you're not in a virtual place, you are using like a drone or someone's walking or there's a robot and you are walking that robot and controlling it. Support for the Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips. You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Your, Your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jackie. Well, you know, I think if you look at these, uh, you know, tech billionaires, they, all of them are trying to do space besides Zuckerberg because they think like Earth is over and we're going to have to get off it to save it. And then we get to visit it like we visit Yellowstone. So I think this is maybe like a halfway step to this like vision of like, there's too many people we're ruining this place. So maybe instead of like hopping on the jet to go to Rome, you, you you just drive down the street and you like get in this, you know, box and we put on a headset and you go to Rome. Meanwhile, these same people who are selling us these services uh, get to still fly on the private jet to Rome. Same thing what we see with the people in charge of the, these tech companies don't let their kids use technology. So this seems a little bit the way they're pushing this is like, oh, like we've really messed up. So we have to reduce our emissions. And that means you don't get to do these things, but don't worry, we have the service. I'll make it, it's just as good. So um, I, I don't like, I tried not to put too much of that stuff into my article because I think it's, I think it's nonsense. I think some of the best technological thinkers think VR is not a replacement. It's actually something you do and then you take it off and you realize, oh, wow, the world is even a cooler place than I remember because I just did this thing that's you know, a shadow of what the real world is. Um, 
I, I guess I fall a little bit more in the middle where I think it could be additive in some ways. So, you know, not all of us can climb up mountains, either we're scared of heights or we're not in physical fitness shape to do it. But like one, the thing I wrote about for the Matterhorn in my piece, you can go nearby, kind of experience the Swiss Alps, uh, and then do a VR experience where it feels like you get to climb this really famous peak. Um, and, you know, for some people, that's as close as they want to get or as they can get. And so that's, that's something that could be additive for an experience where you had no plan to do this thing, but at least you get like a, a taste of it. So those are the ones that I'm a little bit more uh, hopeful for that could be a nice addition to travel. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, that's my, that's my, I agree with you. That's sort of my philosophy on what the metaverse is. I think um, the people who already spend an insane amount of time playing video games and are online constantly will spend an insane amount of time lurking through the, the metaverse and the people that, that don't or play video games casually um, will use the metaverse casually. Like, I, I mean, I, I enjoy Xbox once in a while and I, the games I play, I would never actually do those things in real life. Like formula one, like racing a car or, or, or going to war. Um, and so, yeah, it, it allows you those things. And if I could walk through the Roman Coliseum or climb Mount Everest or experience, um, you know, Thailand, I would definitely at least do it for a little bit. And then I'd say, hey, uh, I just had a great experience in the metaverse in Thailand. Let's go. Um, well, I think and, I think a part of this is one of the things that we can't do in the real world is go through the same places, but at 50, 200 years ago. That's that would be awesome. Yeah. Like so playing think, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah. Like like the metaverse has the ability to recreate the, the you know, Rome in 480. Oh, now you're talking my language here. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and you can experience um, the height of the Incan Empire and do all that fun stuff. So Yeah, yeah. And, and Jackie, you touched up on these tech billionaires. Um, and I know that you are... Um, you, you, and you've already touched up on it, on the, the impact of these technologies on climate change. Um, and you also mentioned space. I know Bezos, for his two minutes in outer space is an insane amount of carbon emissions. And I tried to pull it up while we were talking, but they compared it to the emissions of like the general population of the United States. And it was, it, it exceeded it dramatically. Um, like one day's worth of emissions or one year's worth? So one launch is 300 tons of carbon where he spends only several minutes in the atmosphere, in the outer right, atmosphere and then comes back down. What is 300 tons of carbon? Yeah, well, that's what I was trying to find. Um, but without reading through, it was it was hard to find. I did see something that compared it to the the average emissions of like the general population, and it was it was ridiculous. But um, yeah, Jackie. So can we talk more about climate change and the technologies that you're okay you're informed on? Well, here before we jump in, the the annual carbon dioxide emissions per American was twenty tons. Jeez, that's just. That's annoying. That, so, that 100, is... so 150 times the annual production of a single person in the U.S. The, the world average is four. And that was just for like what 10 minutes? How long was he up there? Not, not long, and he did not go that far. I mean, right. it was not, you know, he did not get out of the atmosphere. So it's, um, it's it, the, the, you know, hubris of doing that and then coming down and thanking Amazon employees was, uh, you know, he's usually not this tone deaf. So that was, uh, that was pretty remarkable. So, um, you know, 
like there, I, I am, I, I'm an optimist and I do think that some of this technology is going to be part of the solution and not the problem. I mean, even rocket fuels, like we could start to clean up fuels too. There's still like more kind of like we saw with solar panels, there needs to be more investment and more research, but we get to the point where we're using cleaner fuels. So this is not, you know, <laughs> putting yeah, I 10 saw, X yeah, I saw recently, maybe in the last month or so, um, Someone had created a rocket fuel made basically from biofuels. So nothing, there's no fossil fuel aspect of it. I think it was just all either corn or ethanol mixed with other things. And it was heavily uh, refined to make it viable for rocket fuel. Biofuels are tricky because we cannot convert land from doing food to creating fuel for like rockets. Um, and there's not enough like leftover, like people are like, oh, well, you just like take the corn stalks or whatever uh, and use like, you know, land for uh, land for food, but then you take the biomass leftover and turn that into biofuel. There's not enough of that to like actually like even do a dent into what we're doing. So biofuels are tricky, but there are other ways. And this is something I read about from National Geographic earlier this year, um, but because time's a flat circle, I'm forgetting the details a little bit, but <laughs> There are there are different ways of creating fuels that are either you know zero emissions or or much lower than our current production. So, um, you know there there I think there is hopes that we can fix uh, travel in that way too. That's that's not artificial intelligence as far as I know, but that that is something that is being explored. I think United just did a flight where they had uh, you know zero emission fuel like in one of the one of the tanks. I think the other tank was still traditional. So there. There are efforts being made. I mean, you can even for shorter flights, you could, you know, have it solar powered or like an electric airplane. So there are, there, you know, this is being researched and this is going to be happening. Um, maybe not in time to stop us from hitting two percent, but it's it's going to be happening. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that. We've followed a few electric air electrification of air travel, and I mean that that's a hard piece because I think most of the planes now, the largest one has like a 500 mile range and with the buffers that you have to have for uh, departure and arrival. I mean, most, most of those planes only have like 150 mile true range that they can fly to. So they're all regional. Um, but the other interesting thing and not necessarily related to travel, but I think last in October of 2021, um, scientists created the output of a fusion reaction was greater than the input. So it was the first time towards creating like an actual little star to produce energy. Yeah, that's the ticket, right? Isn't that the ticket to like most of our fuel problems, space exploration problems? Isn't that once we solve that? Fusion, yeah. Doc Ock yeah. had it, right? <laughs> I always think of that when I think of fusion. <laughs> I'll think of uh, the movie The Saint with Val Kilmer. You know, that's like the whole. Oh, yeah. He's like saving the scientist who has the equation for clean fusion. So, you know, it's a uh, Val Kilmer tried to help us before. So, <laughs> and again, yeah. Uh, all right, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. We've had a wonderful conversation, and as we mentioned before the episode, we do do a uh, rapid fire round. But before we get into that, we want to give you an opportunity to share your social media handles and where people can find your publications. Yeah, so I mostly write for National Geographic, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times these days. 
I'm kept pretty busy with them. Uh, I usually post about this stuff on Twitter where I'm just at Jackie Snow. Um, and Instagram is also at Jackie Snow, right? Uh, that's a little bit more of where, where I'm going and less and more fun stuff than what I'm writing about. So, you know, uh, work up front, party in the back type. Yeah. 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 We'll look for your articles too. Um, I'm sure we'll end up having another one on our uh, travel bites. Yes. Yeah. All right. So with these rapid fire questions, there's five of them. I'll get them started. Bob will ask the next one. You can answer them with whatever comes in the top of your head. It doesn't have to be a one word answer. Uh, so we'll just get it started. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Mexico. Okay. Nice. What travel, <laughs> what travel book has had the biggest influence on your life? Oh, gosh. Uh, gosh, I don't really love every travel book I read. I end up not really liking that much. So Ooh. that is a great question. Well, that, that could still be an impact, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, still, waiting, I'm still waiting for one to, to be of interest or something that I want to reproduce. But usually I think it's most travel is better served in an article and a book is usually feels too long to me. Okay. What, yeah. what, All right. um, maybe you could say which one had the least impact. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I don't want to speak poorly of these people. So no, the, yeah, I don't, yeah. don't want to make fair. it. Like That's fair. They're boring. So. All right. Um, Bob, I'm going to add something to this one. And mm. So from these options, what aspects of travel travel have the biggest impact on your experiences? The landscape, history, architecture, food, or people? I think it's the people, just the, the, you know, the vibe and how I'm interacting. Like, even if it's not super, if I'm not like, you know, out in like the most rural or like most authentic area, even just the people you interact with at a hotel can be, it can feel like you're getting a sense of the place. And Absolutely. that's what I remember of the, the places. Of course, food's like right up there, but, you know, I think of Thailand, uh, Land of Smiles, just how, um, you know, so nice to interact with people there and then even when I was in Mexico you know which I have a very soft spot for my heart during the pandemic and just how um you know people were taking COVID seriously but still trying to make a livelihood it was just uh you know made me feel safe and welcome and made it seem like I you know if I was being careful there then they wanted me there and I was maybe doing an okay thing traveling when um you know we were dealing with uh COVID yeah yeah well said. I don't think we've had any answer other than people, right? Have we? I don't Elliot. think so. No, I don't think so either. Okay. Uh, tell us one thing travelers should not do. Huh. <laughs> I like when we stump people. Make them think a little bit. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, so I grew up on a, an island off Florida that's really famous for its, its shelling. Like people love to come. We have like a shell museum, a shell festival. People come there like beachcombers, like it's a big deal. Uh, and, you know, despite this, like, you know, the signs being everywhere, like don't take stuff off the beach. Uh, like even as a kid, I remember like going up to people like, you, you know, you can't take that. And I'll watch someone like kill a sea slug once because they took it out of the water too long. And I was like, like, come on, like what? they're like trying to show it to their kids. And uh, I was just like, you can't, you can't do this. Um, so just, I think people think that their impact is just one person. It's not that big of a deal. So like, why can't they take this pretty shell off the beach or 
you know, pick this flower and like bring it home. Uh, but I think respecting like the rules about the, you know, conservation and the like the ecosystems around you are things that uh, when I'm traveling um, drives me crazy when I see it being neglected because people are on holiday. And I guess that's just from me being like a little like a junior naturalist where I grew up. And I, I wish people would just realize that, yeah, their impact isn't that big, but it's, it's compounded by everyone else who thinks the same thing. Yeah, no, that's that. I I love this topic. Uh, people who go on vacation sometimes think that they're in an amusement park when they're not. They're at a destination. They're at someone's at home, um, and they're messing with people's livelihoods. If you want to act like that, go to like Disney World. You probably still can't act like that in Disney World, but at least don't do it um, in these public places where people live and and be respectful of the destination, the people, the food, the landscape, all that good stuff. So yeah, that's a great point. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Um, oh, here, one more. I want to add one more thing. The the thing with like taking the shells too. I read something where people would take take rocks, and and I have to admit that there was a point in my life where I would like want to take a rock from a national park or something like that, and then I learned to be better. Um, but <laughs> so you you don't think it's a big deal, and you take one rock or you take whatever, and you go with you, and, you, and it's just you. But then if you look up the number of people who visit certain national parks, we're talking about millions of people per year in one year. So if every single person took a rock, there you know you're you're now significantly damaging, destroying, changing the landscape. So yeah, something to consider. Thank you. That's a good one, Jackie. And the last one, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Oh my gosh, I would have gone on the uh, uh, points and miles game much earlier. Like I am <laughs> myself. We're not, we're not even like in college, just having like American Airlines, you know, frequent flyer number. Like I did not start doing that seriously until probably like 2017. Um, and, you know, I am kicking myself for not having been like building this um, much longer. It is, I am just you know, hearing people talk about like good old days, and, like flying to like, you know, 75,000 points, like Emirates first class. I'm like, I, I, you know, I slept on this much too long. I am, I am disappointed every day. I feel like if I had a time machine, I could go back 10 years. I would like buy Tesla stock, uh, you know, <laughs> of Elon Musk, that's me just trying to like, you know, make money for uh, my future. And then I would like, I'd, I'd create all these frequent fire um, accounts, like day one and get the better credit cards that I, I had. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love that too. Elliot, you hear that? I Elliot's hear still it, Bob. sort of dragging his feet a little bit. We've had so many conversations on this with people who actually do it, like, you know, yeah. full time and, and teach other people how to do it. Um, the the and, realization for yeah. me is that it has to be specific. It can't just be dive into whatever, because it's so broad, like there's so many different points and miles and whatever. So once you pick your destination, then actually focus on that and try to get rewards. Yeah, Jackie, yeah. I, ha I have to give a previous guest a shout out here. Her name is GeoBreeze, and she is a GeoBreeze podcast. Her, that's her but podcast. If you, <laughs> well, it's also her, Julia, but uh, it's also her Instagram page. Phenomenal. Like, yes. phenomenal. Um, follow her, and you will learn an insane amount. She is so good at what she does. and um, yeah. It's a lot of the, I mean, there's, there's tons of resources out there, but she talks about some of the things that are lesser known that can really help. Yeah, yeah. No, I am. I'm in all the Facebook groups. I, you know, point like I've written for the points guy. I follow them. I've gone mm -hmm. to I've gone to a conference where people were saying things that I was like, I wanted to stand up and go, just so you know, there is a reporter in the room and you guys are talking like things that are really interesting to a reporter and it would be interesting to police because that is illegal. Uh, I mean, like, I've, <laughs> I've heard oh, wow. some things uh, that are, are, are very wild. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally get it. It can be overwhelming. I'm not one of those people who have 20 different, um, 
credit cards. I'm not interested in having like elite status and everything. I end up flying a lot on American. So I have like, you know, American do things to like hit, get uh, good miles on there. So I can use it for upgrades and maybe, you know, one day soon, hopefully get to do the uh, first class somewhere cool. But um, yeah, I just, I have three, I have three credit cards and I really feel like I get bang for my buck for what I'm, what I'm trying to do. So yeah, I, I'm the, I'm the friend who everyone turns to They're like, I need a new credit card. What should I do? And then I, I'm like the doula where I'm like, okay, like, what are your goals? Who do you fly? What do you do? You know? <laughs> yeah. so. Yep. 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 Nice. Love it. Well, thank you again, your, your insights on to, into travel tech for the future and the conversations on the metaverse and autonomous vehicles was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff I didn't know about before reading that. I think there's some really cool things, probably some stuff that has yet to be innovated that yeah. we'll see before the end of this pandemic. The UV light, to me, seems groundbreaking. In Obviously, from what she said, we're still in the early stages of that. It seems like it, it's still early on, but I can see that evolving to be an incredibly efficient form of decontaminating airplanes well yeah i can see that as an efficient like something that is standard every time a new building is constructed yeah like that'll exactly. just be a requirement in universal building code right and so now we sort of have, are going down the trajectory of using this form of decontamination i could see it evolving to be more efficient i'm looking forward to that and then the yeah. other thing that's more still cost efficient too Right, eventually, yeah. And then the other thing is the, the QR codes. We talked about this when we read her travel, when we read her article on the travel bites, but Never I'm kind of, I'm done with them. Yeah, why? The, the risk is not worth the use of it um, at all. So, yeah. Yep. And it's not like they're that much easier. You can still type almost as fast as it takes to open your camera and then click the link. Exactly. The only time, I don't, I don't want to say the only time, but a significant majority is when I'm sitting at a restaurant. And so, yeah, I can, mm -hmm. I could Google the website for sure. Yeah. And what Jackie said about the, pandemic or covid doesn't really just stick to surfaces like we thought it did so that right. contactless right. stuff doesn't really matter as much anymore right i do like the nice cold hard menu i do too <laughs> all right thank you for listening this week if you love the show and want to support us you can do so by leaving us a review on whatever platform you listen on uh you can support us financially in a few ways one is use the code ttb at checkout from manscape.com they are a sponsor of the show they've got some awesome stuff you can donate to us at Patreon. You can Google search us. It's on our website. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you can find our merchandise, which is through Redbubble or TeePublic. We've got a bunch of different stuff with TTB memorabilia and blazing stuff. It's awesome. Um, so share it with friends. Share it with family. Stay tuned next week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And we'll see you next time.